in your face. I am delighted to have Nikki Vavika in the studio. Welcome back to 3CR. <laughs> Hello. Hi, it's nice to be back. Performer, actress, poet, comedian, and you've been on fire the last month. I can't believe the amount of shows you've been involved with. Where um, do we start? Uh, a lot, a lot. Um, where do we start? Where do we start? Because I've just, um, I'm about to move to Sydney for an exciting, an exciting opportunity. I um, can't believe that, and I'm really excited <laughs> because you'll be working with Paul Capsis. Yes, yes. Let's start with that. What's this production? Because it must be good if you're going to Sydney for it. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so I'm performing at a show at the Griffin Theatre, um, which is a classic venue in King's Cross. Uh, it's been there since the 70s and has had a lot of um, a lot of well-known Australian plays go, go through there. Um, and they're about to do a big renovation on the, on the theatre. So before they do, they go, they're doing a performance of some classic Australian plays. So there's a trilogy of Louis Nara plays. Um, if you might be familiar with Louis Nara. His most famous one is probably Cosy. Um, and Cosy's actually part of a trilogy and we're performing the whole trilogy. So oh, wow. there's, uh, it's being directed by Declan Green, former, um, former Melbourne artist. Um, and was now an AD at, at Griffin. And so it's like a cast of, I, I presume mostly queers, <laughs> a very queer cast anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's eight of us and we're going to be performing all the roles across all three plays and we're going to be performing all three plays um, in repertory. So it's at about the same time. So, you know, there'll be one on one night, one on another night, one on the next night. Um, and it's going to be huge. It's the hugest thing I've done and it's going to be big and camp and glorious and you know, yeah, a fitting send off for the old, uh, the old Griffin Theatre um, before it gets uh, redone and comes back, reinvents itself. When we met years ago, you were doing stand up comedy, and now yes. you've really segued into being an actress, into being an actor. Um, wow. Yeah, I feel like in the last in the last couple of years, it's funny because yeah, when I first came on the show, I was promoting I think my first ever stand up show. I think was that Sexual Healing that I was promoting. Um, and then, yeah, especially last couple of years, I've moved into doing a lot more poetry and a lot more theatre stuff. So um, the last, like my last two shows that, uh, that I did in, in Melbourne, two running at the same time, do not recommend. Um, I saw that uh, actually on I your had, profile. I was like, wow, how did she do that? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't, don't recommend doing two shows at once, but... Um, I had one show was my spoken word show. Um, uh, so I did poetry and I had a friend playing music with it. We did a show called The Femme Commandments. It was very, very feminist and quite serious for me. Like there's, you know, there's always a comedic element to a lot of my poetry, but it was, um, yeah, there's a lot more feelings and a lot more, more sort of issues and, and stuff in it. Uh, then there would be in, in one of my old stand up shows, for instance, um, and then at the same time, there was also a show which I wrote the text for. So it was a physical theatre performance show called Back Pocket. It was all about finding queer joy and um, what we as, as queer people and as a community want from a sense of home, where we get our sense of peace, where we get our comfort from. Um, that was performed by a bunch of like you know, very talented young, young actors. Um, so... Yeah, they were both kind of like I had my dark, <laughs> my dark show and my happy show, um, but both yeah, quite quite different to the sort of work I was doing. 
How do you manage that? How do you manage that kind of, you know, emotional kind of, you know, variation uh, when you're doing involved in two shows at once and it's kind of push-pull emotionally? Yeah, well, it was, it was interesting because when I looked at it, my the selection of poems I did for the one show and some of the writing I did for Back Pocket, there were like little reference points in between them, uh, which is sort of, there's the thing when you're working on two things at the same time uh, and they're both coming from a personal perspective in a lot of ways. Like with, um, with the theatre show with Back Pocket, I was... It was devised, so I was working with a lot of information from the cast as well and um, sort of expressing things which they had said or uh, drawing things from sessions with them as well as my own personal perspective. But, yeah, it's interesting to see how, like, you know, if you're working on stuff about yourself or personal things at the same time, the same things will come up but just in two different ways um, and almost like sort of, sort of mirrors of each other uh, in that way. I was that confronting, seeing people performing that stuff that was so personal for you? Um, no, it was lovely. It was lovely. It's, I found I've done it, mostly I write for myself to perform it. So a couple of times I've done a couple of shows where I've got to write for other people to perform. Um, so, yeah, this one, another one, which I did uh, like during, during lockdown, and I've done some short scripts which I've put on this year as well. And it is interesting because you get, it's the only time, like you get to see how your writing comes across to to an external eye. And it can be confronting in that you suddenly become aware of all your patterns as a writer, that the patterns and the things that you normally do and you see someone else doing it and you're like, oh, there she goes with that again. That's coming out again. Um, so it's very useful. It's a very useful process. I find, like, seeing other people perform it. Um, and what about a composer? Because Back Pocket had music composed by Law Burns. By Law Burns, yeah. What was that like? Not only, you know, seeing people expressing really personal stuff on stage, which was lovely, but the music going with it. That must have been quite, um, like, must have been beautiful. Yeah, well, but both of them, both of them were shows which were sort of like poetry and music. I mean, with, with Femme Commandments, it was mostly... Um, my castmate, who was a musician, was mostly setting music to my poems that she already knew. Uh, so it would be that would be a case of she would compose the music for it. Um, it wouldn't change the actual context of the poem, but I might perform it a bit differently to fit with the music. Um, so I'd change change the way I express things, and sometimes it would bring out a different character in the in the piece, um, like some pieces became, you know, sort of more humorous because they're existing in, in contrast with the, with the music or others would be more emotional to perform because of the, the, the music. Um, in working with Law on, on Back Pocket, because that was a devised one that had, again, like it could work in different ways because there were some pieces where I would have written a thing and then it, there'd be music set to it and, you know, the cast would go off and... Uh, create something fabulous out of this this piece. Other times, like, I'd be writing to the music, like, we'd have the music. There was one piece in particular where we'd had the music for it, we had a rough idea of the physicality for it, and we just needed text. But it was, like, the last piece I wrote for the thing because I was just, like, we're trying to work out the right text to fit with that piece to match the tone of the music. And so writing it was literally sitting there, like, <laughs> it was this music, it was the, the wildest music, could imagine how um, wild it was, was 
like it was the whole section was about chaos. It was a, like a chaos section. Oh, fun! And so <laughs> the music sounded a bit like losing your mind listening to it, and literally trying to write it. I was just playing that on repeat, just over and over and over and over. So it was a bit of a journey doing that sort of thing. But I really, that's one thing I really love about the devised work because there's some things which, you know, come out of you, you just write them, you do your normal process. And it's been a bit inspired by stuff you've done. And other times you're just really there just engaging with someone else's thing and being like, how do I make my words fit that? What, what do I do with my words to make it fit into this? And those sort of things, like they bring out, that's why you start bringing out different things in your writing. And then, you you know, and you discover different stuff about yourself as well because when you're when you're expressing yourself or the things you want to say through the lens of other people's music or through, through the lens of other people's um, words or physical things that you have to work with, um, yeah, you can make all sorts of discoveries. Do you miss stand-up? Hmm? Do you miss stand-up? Oh, it's sick to miss stand-up, but I do. Sick? Um, <laughs> stand, I, I mean, stand-up is – I love – I love doing it. It's one of the most fun arts to perform. And there's always a thing, anytime I'm performing, even when I'm doing, you know, serious poetry show, there's always that part of my brain is like, now it's time for a gag. Hey, it's time for a, like, you know, a bit of a, a, a joke moment. It's like, it's very, it's very built in the way I perform. Um, even when I'm trying to be serious, it's very hard for me to break the, like, stand-up, stand-up patterns. Um, but I think it's really? part of... Really? Yeah, I think it's, but I think it's part of the... Part of the way I'm I'm able to perform very serious stuff on stage is because I have, you know, because I'm basically trained as a comedian and so I'm never going to put someone in too unsafe a place. So it grounds you. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I'm always, if I'm not, like if I'm not being, because part of what you're doing with stand-up is you, all stand-up is usually about traumatic material or really serious material. That's, that's where good comedy actually comes from is when you're touching a... A nerve, but you're doing it in a way which keeps the audience safe, um, and so you show them the the harsh truth, but then you wrap it in a joke and you make it nicer. So it is a way of presenting uh, difficult difficult truths for people in a way which is more palatable. Um, and so I think, like having had that a lot of that training in comedy, when I do do uh, serious material or I'm talking about more. Um, uh, you know, sometimes traumatic subject matter or something, having that instinct to look after the audience, uh, having that instinct to, um, you know, make it make it safer, even if I'm not going the whole the whole distance of turning it into a joke. Um, I, I still have that, that, that instinct, which I think is very important. Uh, and I, I think it's, um, it's helped me a lot as I've moved into more, more theatrical work on... Uh, on, on, on sort of more serious topics, maybe. Um, I think it's it's helped having that that background because you don't, as a stand-up, you never lose sight of how the audience are reacting, because your audience reaction to everything. And so it's a very helpful skill to bring into theatre. You've segued at a really good time. We had a chat on the street a couple of weeks ago, mm. and you were saying that. Yeah, it's a great time to be a queer performer, an actor, an actress in Melbourne, but it's not so great doing stand-up if you're queer in this town at the moment. Is that I'm kind of how you it, feel? Well, yeah, I'm finding it a little, little, little rough in terms of coming back to stand-up. Why? I've, Why um, is that? It's, I mean, the scene has changed since the pandemic. Um, comedy took a big hit with the pandemic. Uh, it was... 
like it was very difficult to keep performing comedy like some people did and, and kudos to them but because it's such an audience interaction based art form uh, the audience are so important to it it was really hard to make it work on zoom you had to put a lot of work into making shows work on uh, on the internet because that immersion's gone isn't it really I mean yeah it's it's their kind of but it's just not the same no, as being no, face the, to the, face the, yeah it was finding out ways to interact it with it. And as people did it more, we got sort of better at it um, because you need to you need to have some audience feedback, but on those video conference calls, you couldn't have all the audience able to respond. It would just be Im- impossible. So so the industry hasn't recovered. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing it often enough these days that I feel I can really say that or not, but my impression from it was that I think after... After the lockdowns broke, there's like a little rash of new stand-up nights opening and stuff like that. A lot of them haven't lasted. A lot of stuff has ha- struggled a bit more. Like everything in the arts has struggled a bit more coming coming back because we don't have the same sort of audiences. We don't have the same kind of going out culture anymore that we used to. And no one's got any money anymore. <laughs> um, so, but it's felt... Uh, it's felt like a little bit tougher. It's felt especially for me like there aren't as many opportunities um, specifically for women or for queer artists. Like we've obviously lost, uh, you know, some of our mainstay queer venues like Hairs and Hyenas went, like the Hair Hole went. Um, that was tragic, like, wasn't it? And really yeah, that kind was, of just, it really like venues closed, but that one hurt. Yeah. Well, because there were losses of ones like that and it's not like there aren't. Um, there aren't new places opening up, like Motley Bauhaus does a lot of queer shows. Um, but it was an institution that nurtured so many artists. Yeah, and it was, and it was, the philosophy. It was where, yeah, like it's, you can't rebuild something like that without years. And there was such a community there. And that was a place where I could always go. Could always go and see a show. I could always go and perform there um, and be back in touch with the community. And that would give me the strength to then go on and take on the mainstream world. And it was the same a bit with um, the women's comedy nights as well, which we used to have more of, that you would perform in that safe space with all your comedy friends. And then that would give you the strength to go out and do the mainstream open mics and stuff. And since the pandemic, we sort of don't... uh, There's a shortage of those queer spaces, there's a shortage of those women's spaces... And it's just the rough end of comedy, which I never liked. I would do it, but I did it because I had those other places to sort of re- like refill my cup, if that makes sense. And now the sort of going back to it was just like, yep, I can do it, but I'll do it when I feel ready. And I'm still, I'm still recovering from the whole from COVID and from everything else like that. So. But what a recovery career-wise! <laughs> I mean, you are on fire oh, at the moment, you. and. You know, you've segued into, into you know, very much uh, a kind of, you know, an in-demand working actress. Um, well, Is that thank how it you. feels? Thank you for calling me in-demand. Uh. Well, look, you did back pocket, you did gender dysphoria or euphoria. Gender euphoria. <laughs> gender euphoria. Gender dysphoria would be a whole other show. That would be a dark show. <laughs> and, of course, you um. did the Film Commandments. Now you're going to Sydney. You are in-demand, Nikita <laughs> Um. I don't know. I mean, I like honestly at the moment, it, like everything still. To me, everything still feels like pretty rough after, after COVID. If I if I'm being being honest, um, and you've always got that two speed thing as an artist. I think that 
you know, like you're doing fabulous stuff all the time. And I have been very lucky that this year I've done a lot of lot of things. I had, yeah, Gender Euphoria at World Pride and here at the Arts Centre. I had um, an album come out with some of my poetry on it, which was very special. Um, I've had, yeah, got to do, you know, my show at Theatre Works, had um, my, my theatre uh, scripts put on and things like that. So a lot of exciting stuff happening. Uh, but that takes up like, you know, a small percentage of your life and the rest of your time you're dealing with all the stuff that we're all dealing with in the world. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, day-to-day life has still felt tough and the world has still felt very challenging. It's been a very challenging, challenging year for a lot of people, but for, you know, for trans people, certainly it's been challenging this year. Absolutely. Um, and that must really, I mean, that's that's what we forget sometimes when people are, are you know, thriving and their careers are going whoosh. We forget that they're humans and, you know, the, the geopolitical stuff that's happening and, and the stuff closer to home can be really, really confronting, especially when it's hitting our own community and it's personal. Yeah. And it was like, seeing with like some of the things that we went through this year, um, and, you know, like with the wave of transphobia, which has been been resurgent like all over the world, really, but uh, we've certainly seen it in Melbourne. Um, and, and that you know, creates a fear of what's going to come next, doesn't it? It does. Uh, it's obviously very anxious. It's very isolating um, because uh, a lot of the time you sit there and you know, you're there dealing with this thing which is personally affecting you, but so many other people don't seem to even be noticing or responding to it. Um, and that's because everyone is, everyone's like treading water a bit since since the whole thing. Everyone's uh, a little bit in struggle town, I feel, these days. And so not everyone has the time or the energy for all the, the tragedies happening in the world. Not everyone has the time for that. Um, and so when you are personally affected by it, it can feel isolating. It feels like it separates you from your friend because they're all talking about something else. Uh, they're all on other things and you're like, yeah, but we're dealing with this. Great. It feels like you're there looking out a window at this big tornado rolling towards you and everyone else is just having a tea party and not looking out the window. It, it just feels like, oh, this this thing is coming, but I can't get it, like, can't get anyone else to see it. Can't get anyone else to notice it. And that's um, going to hit potentially and our lives will be changed, you mm. know, hugely. And then it's like, oh, why didn't I see that coming? It's like, well, you yeah. did. You and just... Yeah, well, when, you're, like, when you're dealing with those, that, those, those big things, and obviously it's not just the trans community who have, have dealt with those sort of storms this year. Uh, but, you know, we certainly are one of the groups who has, uh, who has had, that, uh, had that experience. Um, so the other thing I, I, I think, like in terms of as an artist is a lot of the reason why we do what we do like in queer art is because we're trying to change the world we're trying to make things better and you know certainly when I came came out was during a pretty it was a pretty challenging time to come out there's a lot more social understanding of what it what it was to be trans than I did but what year are we talking um (laughs) it's been a it's been a journey of a lifetime really but uh Publicly, it was only about 2016, so about the same time that, um, like, uh, the fascists were on the rise in America and there was a lot of... Uh, the year of Trump. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, and it's things, but, the, you know, the world 
in many places became a lot scarier for trans people, certainly in America it did. And, you know, you do feel the the echoes of that over here. So it was yeah, I certainly picked my certainly picked my timing. Um to, And Me Too to was out. happening as well. You know, that was kind of like the start yeah. of all of that. Um but, but it, it must was have given you a lot of emotions to deal with but also a lot of material well because part of i mean part of how i dealt with it then was like i'd just be like okay i'm not trying to engage with the world the world is too scary but i can focus on making my pocket of the world better and the way i would respond to those sort of big things in the world was by making my art and i could see my art making a difference i could see people coming to see my show whether it's about me being ace or it's me talking about being trans or me just doing a completely unrelated show but me being trans and doing it um, I could see that changing people. I could see that uh, affecting people, how they, you know, how they thought about people like me, how they thought about the world and stuff like that. And you feel like you're on a positive trajectory through doing this. Then when you lose the ability to perform because you're, um, you know, you're in lockdown or you're having health problems, at TLC, uh, had as you know, from, from COVID, it's like then you don't have access to that. And then suddenly the world's scary again and you can't do anything about it. Um, and so that feels like it can feel disempowering like that because the only thing I have is performance. That's the only way I have of responding to these big political waves out in the world. And there can be that thing uh, that happens, those those sorts that come when you've spent so many years of your life trying to trying to make a change in the world and then you see like a shift happens and a whole lot of stuff backslides and a whole lot of stuff is suddenly bad again and scary again and so forth and you've got to do the work to keep your optimism to keep your your hope up about it um because it's easy to feel like oh god well we've been doing this for years and were people listening were people in melbourne listening to us um during that um but it's sort of it's sort of the way of it. It's it's like that in campaigning for queer rights. It's like that um, being a feminist. It's like that. I'm sure in any any activist movement, it's just like you can feel like you're making progress, and then one slight change of the wind out in the world, and there's a whole lot of people who follow winds. They 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 move with um, with trends and and times, and people who were your allies a couple of years ago aren't necessarily now. Um, but it's about weathering that. I think you you would know, having been in the queer community for a while as well. It's just like uh, it's never a, it's never a simple story. It's never a simple A to B journey. It's constantly weathering storms and constantly finding that ability to build yourself back up to go and weather the next one. Because there's always going to be another one. Nikki Vivica, thank you for sharing your journey with us. You truly are thriving and you're doing so much. And <laughs> Melbourne's you. loss is Sydney's gain. Um, the production <laughs> in Sydney sounds extraordinary. Hopefully you'll be back performing in Melbourne it's soon. It's called uh, The Lewis Trilogy. Um, if anyone happens to be in Sydney between February and April next year. Um, the Lewis Trilogy at Griffin Theatre. Nikki Vivica, it's been a joy to see you in the studio at 3CR. <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, 
sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.